Hey, I want to welcome you to uh, uh, the Table Church. My name is Cody, and I get to be the pastor here. And um, we're going to be in um, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22 today. And so if you um, have a Bible, um, um, chapter 22, if you grabbed one of those Bibles on your way in, um, on one of the little um, tables, um, we're going to be on page 882. And if you don't have a Bible yet, that's fine. Um, The words will be on the screen um, for you. So while you're turning there or getting ready for that... um, Real quick, just a quick plug, Um, you may notice in in your chair or the chair next to you, um, there's like an invite card um, to Easter, and we want to, we put those there because we want you to take one of those, I want you to, actually I want you to take five of them, all right, so steal one from your neighbor, and and I want you to invite five people um, this next week, bring them to Easter next week, we want to pack this place out and um, talk to people about Jesus. So, let's go ahead and get into the scripture today, Luke chapter 22 Um, starting in verse 47. All of Luke chapter 22 is about the betrayal and arrest of Jesus, mostly about his betrayal, which that's what we're going to be looking at um, this morning. So um, here we go. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple and the elders, who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would um, speak to us through your word, that you would speak to us through your actions performed 2,000 years ago, and um, God, that you would reveal the betrayer that that we are and um god that you would bring healing to how we have been betrayed knowing that you have been betrayed in a far far worse way um and god we ask that you would draw us to yourself we pray that we would not go the route of judas um but that we would instead repent and believe like peter we ask it in jesus good good name amen so you may have a seat. Um, again, if you're just now coming in, my name's Cody. I get to be the pastor here, so welcome this morning. Also, this goes out online tonight at 6, so if you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. And um, like I said, we want to invite you to invite others, and if you're not comfortable getting back in um, just yet, uh, if you're joining us online, you can go ahead and um, um, share that invite on Facebook as well. So um, I've been... Um, recently walking and Lori and I are trying to lose a few pounds before the wedding and everything so I've been like um, I'm up to like three miles a day now and so um, I'm listening to the Bible I'm listening to um, like these books and stuff and so I recently became aware of this app called Hoopla that if you have a library card that you can like get free audiobooks I think Jenna Jones told Lori about it and so like everybody's like you know it's fantastic it's great go it's all free get yourself a library card get Hoopla it's great and so I've been listening to this book, and one of the books that I, I've listened to 
is, and I only know the title of it, but the author's name is Brene Brown. Now, Brene Brown has become popular. She's a researcher at the University of Houston. She's become popular um, as of late um, as a, a shame and vulnerability researcher. She's got some pretty neat things to say. I don't think she goes quite far enough for the gospel. But I thought that this illustration that she gave about the difference between empathy and sympathy was really good. So I'm going to pass it on to you. She said, in our culture today, we have a lot of people who sympathize, but not many people who will go and actually empathize. And she gave this illustration. She goes, imagine you're down in a pit. You've fallen into a pit. You're, you're wounded. You're banged up. You're dirty. It, and and you, you can't get out of it on your own. Someone with sympathy would be, they would come to the edge of the pit. They would see you down there like Andy Dwyer in Parks and Rec, and they would say, wow, you're in a pit. How'd you get down there? Sorry. And that's it. But someone with empathy would actually come down into the pit with you because... They're not afraid of your hurt. They're not afraid of your shame. They're not afraid of your dirt. And they've probably been in the pit before, and they also know the way out. They may not be able to carry you out, but they at least will come and spend time with you in it. Now, that I don't know how biblical of a definition, but it creates a pretty good word picture. It's like, okay, that's that's the difference. Like, Someone with empathy will actually get involved in your life. They're not afraid of your pain. You say, well, what does all this have to do with Judas and with Jesus? Well, what Judas does, and if you go back, and and I would encourage you to read all of chapter 22 um, this afternoon. Just go back and, and read it and see how the story progresses. But what Judas does is deplorable no one's going to argue that as we walk through this this morning it is deplorable but what we also have to recognize is that it's normal in the same way that sympathizers are normal in our culture but but empathizers are kind of rare this is what we're dealing with like because what we want to do with judas is we want to like demonize him and then just say he is something other i think if we do that and we don't really reflect on the, how Judasic we ourselves can be, we miss the entire point of the passage. So what Judas does is deplorable, but it's also absolutely normal. But what Jesus does is totally unexpected and absolutely necessary. Totally unexpected, but absolutely necessary necessary so let's go ahead and let's look at judas then we're going to look at jesus here's what judas does and it is deplorable um it's an act of insult and independence jewish rabbi i can't remember his name but here's here's what this jewish rabbi said about what judas does and how he treats jesus as he comes up and approaches him to betray him with a kiss and we 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 see it you know he comes up uh, he's one of the twelve he comes up, he's leading this group of people that's going to arrest him. He drew near to kiss him. And, and, and Jesus, like, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? He, he's asking him, he's kind of calling him out. 
Here's what this Jewish rabbi says. He says, in any group of teacher and disciples in the first century world, the disciple was never permitted to greet his teacher first, since this implied equality. When the, when the coming up disciple would greet the other disciples first, and the teacher only last, showing deference in an appropriate cultural way. So Judas's sign, therefore, was not just a signal to the mob, but was also a deliberate insult. It was an act of independence. It was Judas saying to Jesus, I'm as good as you. So it's an act of independence and it's an insult, but it's also a betrayal of intimacy. Notice in the text it says, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, the man called Judas, and then there has this parenthetical reference or this, this comma reference, one of the twelve. Judas is not an outsider. He's an insider. It's hard to be betrayed by an outsider, Right? You're betrayed by insiders. So it's, it's a betrayal of intimacy. This was not the sin of an outsider, but of an insider. It's, it's infinitely worse, says Tim Keller, to be attacked by a friend than an enemy or a stranger. It's more, emotional dam- more emotionally damaging. Um, I'll put it to you this way. This is a, um, if you are a first-time guest here today and you were to come up to me in the lobby after the service and you came up to me and said i didn't like anything you said and i'm never coming back to this place um i would hurt i'd probably stew on that today but i probably would still sleep okay tonight okay now i'm not trying to be like harsh but like there you're i don't know you okay now if wes sanders who has been with us since we started the church came up to me in the lobby and said, this sucks. I'm done. I don't like you. I don't like your preaching. I'm out. I, I would be crushed. I, I would be hurt. I would, I would leave here in tears. I would cry the rest of the day. I probably wouldn't sleep tonight. It would, I would be hurt. But if Lori says, I'm out, I'm not coming back to staff meeting for a month. I am wounded beyond repair. At least by any of you. You see, it's a, it's a betrayal of, of intimacy. The, the more you love a person, the more you care for a person, the more you minister to a person, the greater the hurt when they betray you. The, the wound is just deeper. So you, you see when Jesus says, Judas, you betrayed the Son of Man with a, with a kiss? I mean, it's a, he's hurt. Jesus is not um, immune to, to the pain of betrayal. He, he takes all of it. So Judas' actions are deplorable. But they're also normal. And this is the part that we, where we, I, I want us to... to understand i want us to try to get into judas's shoes a little bit because and i realize this is a scary thing because what i want you to see is that you are more like judas than you think you are 
And I am more like Judas than I think I am. You see, there's two popular ways to look at Judas, um, and, and neither of them are right. Here, the, the traditional way of looking at Judas, um, the traditional view comes from Dante's Inferno, um, which when you go into Dante's Inferno and he's describing hell and there's these different levels of hell and you get to the very lowest level of hell, it's not, it's not um, hot, it's actually ice cold. It's frozen. It's a frozen uh, lake. And there, in that lowest pit of hell, is Satan consuming Judas. That's the traditional view. Now, none of that is rooted in Scripture, but that's the traditional view. We, we, we have demonized him. It's like, you know, like there's, there's Judas in the lowest level, and then there's Hitler, and then there's, you know, it, it, it's like we, we categorize it like that. But then there's a more modern view, and this has come about like in the last hundred years, which um, says that Judas is not to be demonized, but he's kind of like to be set up on a pedestal. He's like the heroic rebel. He, he comes through in a different light in like the Broadway plays and things like that. He's, he's a heroic rebel. He's a positive guy who was just trying to push Jesus to go a little bit faster. Well, that's not right either. So what is the biblical view? The biblical view is he's a lot like you and I. He's a lot more like us than we care to admit. He struggles to trust God when things get bad. And things were getting bad. He, he's followed Jesus. He's thrown in with Jesus. He's seen how Jesus keeps upsetting the religious establishment. He knows that the religious leaders are wanting to kill him. He's seen him enter into Jerusalem. We talked about this last week, how Judas was like most everybody else in Jerusalem at that time. They were done with Roman occupation. They were done with Caesar. They wanted a new king, and Jesus was the guy who could do it. He could feed the masses. He could perform miracles. He had power over death. This was the guy that we could put our hopes in. He can deliver our nation. He struggles when he sees Jesus ride into Jerusalem and Jesus isn't doing anything different than what he's done before. He's teaching, he's doing a few miracles, and he's upsetting the religious leaders. Caesar is still on the throne and Roman soldiers are still walking around. Nothing has changed. He doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. Now, how many of us can relate to that? That we struggle when things are bad. We don't see what Jesus is doing. Jesus, what are you doing to fix my problem? So, Judas betrays him. You see, it's been nearly a week since he entered Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna. And Jesus really hasn't done anything kingly. He hasn't led a revolution or a revolt. He's just doing what he always has done. So Judas does what probably many, if not all, of the disciples had considered doing. He gets out while he can. He cuts his losses. I mean, his thinking is like, three years of my life I've given to this guy, and he has not delivered. 
He has not given me what I wanted from him. Roman soldiers still occupy our streets. They abuse our people. Caesar is still on the throne and Jesus is going to die. I might as well make a little bit of money. Disassociate myself from him lest I go down with the ship he is captain of and get arrested as well. Judas is just not that unusual. We are more like him than we care to admit. You see, Judas betrayed Jesus because he felt betrayed by Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask a question. I don't expect us to answer audibly here, but have you ever felt betrayed by Jesus? Have you ever felt like, Jesus, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought was going to happen. Jesus, I gave my life to you, and I was told that everything was going to get better, and now that I've become a Christian, in fact, it's gotten worse. My marriage hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. My husband or my wife doesn't believe they're not doing the things. Like, we're growing further apart. My kids think I'm nuts. Like, I I used to be okay compromising and going along with some of the things at my job, and now I can't, and it's hard, and I'm being overlooked for promotions. I'm no longer part of the in crowd at, with the office chatter. I'm being deleted from email threads and text threads. I don't get invited to the parties anymore. I, they are treating me like Michael Scott. I mean, you know, that's a tu- it, it's tough. Jesus is not going to make you popular. At least not for the things you want to be popular for. But here's what's crazy while this is also so common. And I think that this is a, a level of hope that we see earlier in this. It's not recorded here in Luke, but it is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 22, when Jesus is at the table with them, and he says to them, he goes, one of you is going to betray me tonight. Every one of the disciples ask, is it I, Lord? Now, Here's what's remarkable about this, because normally the disciples are blind to their own sin, blind to their own potential of betrayal, blind to their own unrighteousness, blind to their own ability to betray. Normally, that's how they are. You have to understand that at the same time at the table, they're also fighting about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And fighting over the, the, the seats right next to Jesus. So when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, and every one of them say, is it I? This is an amazing thing. And it shows you that for all of just how dull the disciples were and how they come across sometimes in the scripture, at this moment, they recognized what was going on and how Jesus was really making people upset. And they knew what was going on in their own hearts. This is probably the most mature question the disciples have ever answered or ever asked. It's actually, it's a good step. Because usually they're just completely oblivious to their own shortcomings. And how much are we like them as well it's good for us to ask it's normal for for you to ask right now as you're hearing about this judasic behavior it's normal for you to say 
could I do that? That that's a good question to ask. So I want to ask you, uh, where are you? How like how deep will you let Jesus search you? How how far will you invite him down into your pit? How vulnerable are you willing to be with the one who already knows you perfectly anyway? Tim Keller says this is spiritual darkness. This is spiritual blindness on the part of Judas. And he says, like him, we are unable to trust God when things are bad, which is a terribly hard thing to do. And yet, we're only hurting ourselves when we can't do that. But we're also blind to the way in which we betray the one who loves us the most. So what are we going to do? Who's going to lift the darkness? How are we going to heal this? Who is going, how, how is this going to be dealt with? Well, how did Jesus deal with it? Which is the next point we want to come to. Whereas... Judas does something that is completely deplorable, but also totally normal. Jesus does something that is completely unexpected and totally necessary. Jesus went through this hour of darkness to deliver us from darkness's dominion over us. He had to go through it. He couldn't just sweep it under the rug. He couldn't bypass it. He couldn't take a detour. He had to go through it. That's why at the end, of verse 53, he says, but this is your hour, the power of darkness. You see, no one really expected Jesus to die. He had been telling them this for a long, long time. You've known if you've been in this sermon series with us, like he's been telling them, even from the first miracle that he did. I mean, I mean heck, even in his baptism. The baptism is like death burial, resurrection. Like it's a like all these things have been pointing to this, but they're not seeing it. He's been telling them explicitly, the Son of Man goes to Jerusalem to die. He will be handed over to the chief priest and the elders, and he will die. And the disciples are like, ah, that's a metaphor. So this is why in verse 49, when those who were around him saw what would follow, they saw, they're like, oh, this is going to get bad. Like, the, like literally, the disciples, and specifically the one who cuts off the ear, his, it's Peter. We're told that in another gospel account. It's Peter who does this. And the reason I bring that up is because we're going to juxtapose Peter and Judas here in just a little bit. But, like, when they see what's happening, when they noticed as Judas came in and greeted Jesus first, like that would have caught everybody's attention. Like, hey, yo, homie, you can't do that. You're, you can't disrespect him like that. And then that's indicating for the mob that's the guy. Like, they're all thinking, oh, it's go time. And so this is why they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Which you're thinking like, why were they wearing swords anyway? They were fishermen. What are you doing carrying around a sword? Do you have a permit for this? Have you been, have this, is this a registered sword? You know, I mean, it's that. 
And then it says one of them, we know from the other gospel accounts, it's Peter, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. You want to know why Peter cut off his right ear? Because he was a fisherman, not a swordsman. He was going for his head. Now, y'all laugh at me and think, oh, that's just the Oklahoma interpretation. No, it ain't. That's true. Believe me if you want to, but I'm telling you, Peter was, he was going at him. I think he was going there, and the guy ducked, whoop, lopped his ear off. Boom, done. And then what, but look what Jesus said. See that, it, Jesus is doing something that they don't understand. And whatever pain you're in, however you feel betrayed, he's doing something that you probably don't understand. And you may not understand it until you get through it. Jesus said no more of this. And then he does something crazy. He picks the guy's ear up and sticks it back on his head. I don't know what you would have done, but if I was that servant and I just got my ear chopped off and then the guy that I was coming to arrest just stuck it back on my head and healed me completely, I don't know what you would have done, but I'd have joined another army right then. then jesus questions them he goes have you have, have you come against me like a, i'm a robber with like swords and and clubs i was with you every day in the temple and you didn't lay hands on me like he's he's pointing out the hypocrisy and this whole passage is, is just filled with hypocrisy i mean judas betraying him with a kiss the the, the, the arresting him on these trumped up charges and yet, Jesus submits to it. He goes, nevertheless, this is your hour, the power of darkness. No one expected him to die. No one really wanted that, but that was absolutely what was necessary in order for Jesus to deliver us from sin's power. Last week, I said that Israel's real problem wasn't Rome. It was sin. And sin is our real problem as well. And it's specifically the sin of self-sufficiency which is peter you remember peter was the one who said they'll all deny you but not me it was peter the one that cut off the guy's ear totally shall we strike with the sword it's self-sufficiency and here's the reality until we see our sin for how it really is we will never see jesus for who he really is And unless, until we see our sin in all of its horror and ugliness, we will not see the beauty and the glory of Christ. I think it was John Owen, Puritan um, theologian, that said, till sin become bitter, Christ will not be sweet. So let's go ahead and wrap this up if we fast forward in the story a little bit we know that after jesus is arrested puts the guy's ear back on peter who has said i'll never betray you i'll never leave you he's questioned a couple of different times at the trial and he denies him three different times As a matter of fact in this same passage it's the next one verses 58 and following that after 
he denies him that third time and the rooster crows is the only gospel account that we have this, but that Peter's close enough and, and Jesus and his eyes meet after he denies him. Can you imagine that, that look? Judas betrays Jesus for money. Peter denies Jesus to save his own life. See, they both betrayed him. And in fact, Peter's may have been a, in some ways harder. Judas said, yeah, I know him, and I'll give him to you. Peter's like, I don't know him. They were both looking out for themselves and both, and both grieved after what they had done. They both grieved. They were both sorry for what they had done. But here's the difference. Judas eventually hanged himself. And here's what's it, here, this is why I said that the sin is self-sufficiency. You see, to the end, to the end, Judas was still trying to be his own savior. Even in his death, as tragic as it was, and I am not trying to make light of suicide, please understand me, but it was his own solution to remove his guilt and sin. He, was try- he knew that he had taken a lot. He knew what he had done and he was trying to remove his guilt on his own power. And it, it doesn't work like that. We can't remove our sin on our own. So don't do what Judas did. Don't try to remove your guilt on your own because that always ends in disaster. But instead, do what Peter did. You say, well, what did Peter do? And it's not in the text where I'm just... Trust me, again, go just read, read, read in the, in, in, further in the Gospel of Luke or read in the Gospel of John. Peter went back to fishing. And you say, well, what do you mean? He went, back, he went back to where he first found Jesus or where Jesus first found him. He went back to something familiar. He went back to where Jesus would find him, where Jesus did find him. And we're told in the Gospel of John that as Jesus comes to them, he's on this, on this beach. He tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. They do. John says, it's the Lord. And Peter's like, oh, strips naked, jumps in the water, swims to Jesus on the beach. That's got to be a weird thing, you know, walking up out of the water naked to Jesus. I, you know, anyway, it's not how I would have done it, but that's why Peter did it. He was kind of impulsive. Kind of impetuous. And I'm sitting there thinking, can you really swim faster than the boat could row? But anyway, this is Peter. He, you know. And as he's there on the beach, Jesus doesn't be like, whoa, bro. Put some clothes on. He doesn't do that. Here's some breakfast. And they enjoy breakfast there on the beach together. And then at the end of the breakfast, in front of all the disciples, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He goes, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Now, here's the bad thing about the English translation and the word love. 
We just hear love and it just rails off us. But in the in the Greek, it's actually two different it's two different words that's going on. Jesus asks Peter, "Do you agape love me?" And Peter every time answers back, "Lord, I phileo love you." You say, "Well, what's the difference between those those words?" Well, phileo or phileo it refers to an affection towards friends, it, but it's also used to refer to brotherly love, and it's developed on the battlefield. It's it, this is a love of equals. But agape, by contrast, is a self-giving, self-sacrificial kind of love. A love that disadvantages oneself for the sake of another. And the first two times that Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? He says, do you agape love me? Do you, would you sacrifice yourself for me? Would you give yourself, would you disadvantage yourself for me and Peter he can't say it he can't say it he says Lord I love you like a brother and there's what's fascinating the third time he doesn't Jesus doesn't just like keep pressing Peter to to like like I'll just guilt him out of his pit no 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 he comes down to him he asks him twice do you do you disadvantage yourself are you willing to love me that way but the third time he goes Peter do you love me like a brother? Do you, do you phileo love me? He comes down to him. He empathizes with him. He doesn't stand there at the edge of this pit that Peter's in and say, you blew it! Hate it for you! He comes down all the way down. You say, well, why did he ask him three times? Peter denied him three times. Jesus wasn't trying to help guilt on him, but he was trying to point. He was just moving the layers back, just peeling him back, undoing him. Bringing Peter to the end of himself. You know why? Because that's where you find Jesus, and that's the only place you find him. When you're brought to the end of yourself. So Peter comes down to where he... Peter is. He doesn't make Peter overpromise so that he'll inevitably underdeliver. Peter has seen who he is. He's seen what he was capable of. And so did Jesus. And he came to him anyway. And here's the thing Jesus sees you and he sees me. He knows what you and I are capable of. And he comes to us anyway. He knows that you've been betrayed by others and he knows how you've betrayed him he knows how you've denied him he knows all the ways in which you try to save yourself and rid yourself of your guilt and your shame he's well acquainted with your self-sufficiency he sees you his eyes are already on you what I'm going to ask you to do is lift your gaze and look at him just look at him. Because there's no one who has ever loved you the way he loves you. There's no one who has loved you in such a self-sacrificing, self-giving kind of way like Jesus has loved you. 
Yes, you have betrayed him. And yes, you will betray him again. And so have I and so will I. But that will not stop him from loving us. So when you get to the end of yourself, that's where you find Christ. Tim Keller says this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help um, us to come to the end of ourselves today. God, for those that have never entrusted themselves to you, God, I pray that you would um, undo them today and bring them to the end of themselves. God, for those of us who have slipped back into self-sufficiency, God, that we are, you, you, through your word today, you've helped us be aware of our own Judasic type hearts. God, I pray that you would continue to draw us to yourself, to bring us to repentance and faith and renewed trust in the gospel, not in our own inventions, not in our own willpower, not in our own ability to remove our sin and shame. And that, God, we would look to you as we sing. That, God, we would look to you in communion and we'd be refreshed and encouraged and we'd repent again and believe the gospel afresh and anew. God, deliver us from our Judasic hearts. God, give us the faith of Peter to just own up to our shortcomings of where we're at and just receive grace upon grace. For our joy, we ask it. For your glory, we ask that. Amen. So here at our church, we take communion every Sunday. And I'm going to encourage you um, that if you're a baptized believer, um, come down the center aisles and get one of the cups. You can take that wafer that um, is symbolic of Jesus' body, his perfect righteousness, his, uh, his sinlessness that he has imputed to you as a Christian through his shed blood on the cross. Because he died for your failure, for your sin. That's what communion is. So if you are a baptized believer, we invite you to take communion. If you're not a, a believer or you haven't been baptized yet we want to invite you into a conversation you can come talk to me here on the front row while the singing is going on or if you want to wait and find me out there in the lobby i would love to meet you would love to talk with you or set up a coffee a time where i can we can work through that and after we're done with communion we want to invite you all to stand when you're ready to sing as a congregation to help the band out today to look to jesus to sing to Him. So, when you're ready, come take communion. Go back to your seat. And whenever you're ready, stand and sing. Look to Jesus.